Roland adopt the cravat, which the poet himself favoured. Their friendship was such that even Roland Sinclair did not feel the need to respond politely. Give up and tie a four in hand, Roly, Clyde called, checking his watch. Although mumbled, Roland's reply made clear what he thought of the knot Clyde advocated. He hadn't used a four in hand since he was a schoolboy. Unable to watch him struggle any longer, Edna intervened. He protested, of course, but she ignored him, slapping his hand away and knotting the tie with the full Windsor she'd always known him to wear. She slipped the ends beneath the sling which supported the cast and turned down his collar. He looked down, a little surprised that the length was perfect. Thank you, Ed. She reached up to brush the dark hair off his forehead. A barber had come to the hotel suite that morning, but Roland's hair never stayed in place for long. You really are ridiculous sometimes, she said, smiling into the intense blue of his eyes. Come and have some tea before we go. Roland nodded. He could sense that his companions were anxious to depart, to put oceans between themselves and Germany. As much as Paris seemed a world removed from the dark, ordered insanity from which they'd fled, the fact that they were probably wanted for murder in Munich made the protection of a single border fragile. Even here, in the Hotel de Crillon, on Place de la Concorde, it seemed that Nazi officialdom was a presence, on leave or business, recognisable by language and manner, though they were not in uniform. The four Australians had been in Paris for three days, and had in that time kept to themselves. All their meals had been taken in the privacy of the suite. They had visited the war cemetery in Ypres, where one of Roland's brothers was buried, but such pilgrimages were nothing out of the ordinary, and they'd been careful to draw as little attention as possible. And yet they were uneasy. Eager to be on home soil as soon as possible, Roland had booked their passages on Imperial Airways silver service between France and Britain. They would cross the Channel and land on the coast of Kent in just hours, and sail for Sydney thereafter. They had little luggage. What clothes they now possessed had been purchased in Paris, for they had left Germany with barely more than they'd been wearing. The new bags, containing only basic and quickly acquired wardrobes, were in fact half empty. Roland drained the cup Milton had handed him. The poet wore a jacket of orange velvet, which he had purchased from a street vendor near the hotel. In Paris, it did not seem so odd, perhaps, and Milton's tastes had always been flamboyant. Roland slipped his arm out of the sling to pull on his own jacket, easing the sleeve over the cast with Edna's help. The fabric was strained around the extra thickness, but at least it wasn't orange. Clyde grabbed their bags, refusing to let Roland help or call the bellboy. It'll be quicker to take them ourselves, he insisted, handing Edna's Gladstone bag to Milton. We don't want to miss that flight. And so they made their way down to the hotel's gilded foyer. They found it uncommonly crowded, not accustomed to anything but instantaneous and obsequious service, the guests who waited in the foyer were noticeably irritable and indignant. I'll settle the account, Roland said quietly. You chaps get the doorman to hail a taxi. I'll be as quick as I can. Clyde nodded, glancing at his watch. They were cutting it fine. Roland joined the queue at the reception desk. There were several people ahead of him waiting impatiently. It seemed there was a problem at the head of the line. At the counter, a fair, thick-set gentleman made demands of the manager. He spoke French, haltingly, with a German accent. He was accompanied by two gendarmes, 
and a particularly fat man who compulsively mopped the perspiration from his brow with a large handkerchief. It was the presence of this fat man that alarmed Roland. He knew him, Rousseau, the sweaty, rotund doctor who had cast his arm and treated the burns on his chest. The manager signalled the concierge, and they conferred before he turned back to the German. Monsieur Sinclair's party has neither checked out nor called for a bellboy, monsieur. I expect he is still in his suite. He took a key from the rack behind him. I shall take you up myself. For a moment, Roland was panicked. Certain Rousseau would notice him in the crowd. As soon as the men left the service desk, the guests who had been waiting surged towards it, demanding to be attended. Roland went with them, keeping his head down and his back turned. The concertina doors of the lift closed. Quietly then, without hurrying, Roland...